Friends, let's pray together. Father, it is good to be here together this evening. It's good to celebrate with one another. It's good to focus upon that thing that matters most with those who matter the most to us. And now, Lord, as we come to your word, to one short verse in it, come be our teacher that we might behold the grace that you offer us this Christmas. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, imagine with me. History has has come to an end and, and you and I are standing together looking out over a vast plain that stretches as far as our eyes can see. The sun is beginning to rise, chasing night shadows from the landscape, and as it does so, by its light we see people, and, and more people, and more people, and more people after that. Some standing together, some sitting on the grass, most clustered into smaller groups, but covering the entire plain, millions upon millions and millions of people from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, from every people on earth. And as we look out upon them, we notice that their gaze is all fixed at the horizon. And following the trajectory of this gaze, we soon see why. Because we see a throne unlike any throne that we have ever seen in our lives. But our attention doesn't really dwell on the appearance of the throne because our eyes are quickly diverted to focus upon the one who is sitting upon this throne. Dazzlingly bright, enchanting, at the same time intimidating and yet strangely comforting. A vision of God himself. But not everyone on the plane is, is so enchanted, is so taken with God. In fact, some are unimpressed. And they talk heatedly amongst themselves in arguments that began far back in the night. They bristle not with fear, but with indignation when they see this God. Then one of them, a young woman, stands and, and motions to the multitude. And a hush falls upon the crowd as she stands to speak and ears strain, ears open a little wider to hear what it is that she will say. She stands and instantly snaps. How can this God judge us? How can this God judge us? What does this God know about the suffering that I've endured. Rolling up her sleeves, we see that there's a number tattooed on her forearm. See this number, she says, this is the number they gave me in Auschwitz. And after they gave it to me, they tortured me, they beat me, they executed me. How can such a God who has allowed this come in judgment on me? Amen, calls out another voice from the crowd. This time, a young man rises, pulling not at his sleeve, but at his collar, saying, What about this? We all wince as we see the angry rope burn that has made his neck raw. Lynched, he says, for no crime other than being black. And what about me? This cries another voice from the crowd. Turning, we see an an old, disheveled-looking man, grey both in his hair but also in his face. I was poor, he says, my entire life. Homeless, even. 
And it's not like there wasn't enough to go around. But I have suffered all my days. From another group, we hear the voice of a schoolgirl. And as she stands to rise, we see that she's heavily pregnant. Now, what about me, she says. Why should I suffer when this thing wasn't even my fault? From across the plain, people keep on appearing. A party after a party, bringing their grievances to God. Yes, it must be nice to be God. It must be nice to be enthroned in heaven, in perfection and in splendor, where everything is sweetness, where everything is light, where everything is candy, where everything is roses. But God has no idea what we've been through. How can this God bring judgment upon us? He hasn't cared enough to intervene in our lives. What right does he have to rule over us? United in their complaints, the offended parties gather together. And after a whispered discussion, they announce their plan. We've elected 12 leaders, they say, chosen because these are the ones that have suffered the most. We look down the line and we see a victim of the Holocaust. We see a villager from the Cambodian killing fields. We see a battered and abused mother, so on, so on, down the line. They will convene, we're told, before presenting our case to God. Several hours later, but the tension makes it feel just like moments having pulled their grievances, their consultation now complete. These elected leaders stand to present their judgment to God, and they feel that they have come up with something rather clever. The silence blankets the plain, but then they begin to speak. Hear us, O God, they say, for we have a strong case to put before you. We have a strong case to put before you have brought us to this place of judgment, but we say that you are not qualified to pass judgment over us. You've demonstrated no concern for us, and you have no understanding of the suffering that we have endured. How can you judge fairly? How can you rule uh, wisely? You've just removed your head from the sand. The grains are still in your ears. No, before you are fit to rule over us, before you are fit to pass judgment over us, you must endure everything that we have endured. So here now... Your sentence, O God. First, you're to live on earth as a human. Second, you're to be born a Jew so you know the meaning of true discrimination. Third, you're to be born under suspicious circumstances, considered illegitimate so that everyone will snicker behind your back. And you're to have a disreputable career, work that makes the authorities hound you and make your life as difficult as possible. And you're to be poor, homeless even, having nowhere to lay your head. And then, and then, the true suffering is to begin. You're to be arrested, you're to be beaten, you're to be tortured so that you know what it's like to be abused. And you're to be sentenced to death by an unjust jury so that you know what it's like to be persecuted. And you're to be killed in the most agonizing and inhumane way possible so that you know what it's like to, be suffer, to suffer. And, and as you die, you're to be saken, forsaken by, by all, even your own father, so that you know what it's like to be alone. 
endure this and you'll be worthy to rule over us. This is your sentence. Let us hear now how you respond. Again, a silence falls over the plain. A silence so deep it seems as if the entire universe is, is holding its breath. And then in the silence, God stands. He stands and the presence of God seems to fill that silence like a warm breeze fills the soul. And then he speaks. My friends, it seems that you've forgotten Christmas. It seems that you've forgotten Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. God does care about this world. And God does care about you. And he has done something to save the world. And he has done something to save you. Consider the verse after the most famous verse in the Bible. So, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What's the next verse? Well, John 3, 17 is the answer. And it reads, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Jesus to condemn. He sent him to save. God wasn't content to watch. He isn't content to watch, sitting on the sidelines as we make a mess of our world and a mess of our own lives. And we know that we do this. We know that we make a mess of our world and a mess of our own lives. And all we need to do to confirm that is go home this evening and put, turn on the news. Turn on the news. And, and do you remember the last time when, when the headline was, you know, everything's actually really good. Peace in DC, peace in America, peace, peace in our world. When was that ever the headline? You know, two weeks last never was when that was the headline. No, we turn on uh, the news and we see every night the results of, of hate and lust and greed and persecution. Corruption manifesting themselves in a thousand ways in a thousand different days. The fact that we have police men and women, the fact that we have jails, the fact that we have military forces indicates that there's something wrong with humanity. On a more normal or mundane level, if you just take a flight, fly somewhere. Perhaps you did take a flight to visit friends or family and you're here with us this evening. Or perhaps you plan to travel shortly after um, in this Christmas season. But whatever the case, we all know what it's like to travel. We get on that plane and what happens before we do? They search our bags. They search our hand luggage. They search even our shoes. Why? Because we know what humanity is capable of. We know what humanity is capable of. And a little closer to home, of course, we know that the problem isn't just out there. The problem is also in here. We know that we ourselves have contributed to the mess that is our world and indeed the mess that is our own lives. Almost everyone, certainly anyone who is in the least self-aware, has sensed that at times they're a moral failure. 
and has experienced a level of guilt, a level of shame. And the Christmas message is this. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Jesus didn't come to reprimand. He didn't come to mete out punishment. He didn't come to say, I told you so. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. He didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. Born in a manger, yes. Undergoing all the miseries of this life, yes. Suffering death on a cross, yes. Remaining under the power of death for a time, yes. Rising again, ascending to yes, yes, and yes. Why? Not so that you could go to church and feel guilty. But so that he might take your guilt away. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And this is what we call grace. We deserve punishment and instead we're given forgiveness. We deserve condemnation and instead we're given salvation. Grace, undeserved favor. And so we remember this Christmas that the Christianity, Christianity isn't about what you must do for God. Christianity is about what God has already done for you. That's why it's good news. That's why it brings great joy. That's why it's for all people, the best of people, the worst of people, for people like me, for people like you. At Christmas, God doesn't come to make demands of you. He comes to give a gift to you. And so we return to the end of time, standing together on that plane, looking out to that horizon, seeing people, more people, more people after that. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to make sure that on that day, you'll be numbered amongst those who are saved. You'll be numbered among those who've received this grace. I wonder how many Christmases have come and gone without you receiving this gift. I wonder what it will take for you to receive it now. The free offer of forgiveness for those who know they've done wrong. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's take a moment just now, a moment just in the silence and quietness of our own hearts to to thank him for his immeasurable love toward us and to receive the forgiveness that he's offering us this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, the message of Christmas. You care about us and you've sent Jesus to save us. You did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In coming, you say, I love you and I'll forgive you. And in reply, we say, Thank you. Please do. We turn from our sin, and by faith we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. For that's why he came, not to condemn, but to save. And it's in his perfect name that we pray. Amen. Amen.